0: Uh, we started this new message series called Becoming... And we should start it before I dig the grave any deeper. Uh, last weekend with this series called Becoming Spiritual Champions. And it's built on several premises. First, we're saying, we're assuming that the soul is the most important part of our being, right? The soul is actually the seat of our being. Everything else in our life swings on the hinge of our soul. Nothing matters more. Second premise that this series is built on is that I personally am convinced and convicted that every single person who ever steps across the line of faith in Jesus Christ, every single person who becomes a Christian, every single person who becomes a Christ follower, does so wanting to become a spiritual champion. That's how they start out the journey of faith. I don't believe that anybody who steps into a relationship with Jesus Christ ever does so wanting to be spoken of, like we talked about the church of Laodicea last weekend, right? And Jesus said, I want to vomit you out of my mouth. I don't think anybody who follows Jesus Christ, who starts that adventure of faith, wants to be reduced to the level of milk toast, weasel puke out of the mouth of Jesus Christ. I just don't think that's the way it goes. Rather, I believe that every person who starts the journey of faith with Jesus Christ does so wanting to hit it out of the park with their faith. They all want to become, we all want to become spiritual champions. Third premise that this whole series is built on is this one. This insidious deal called spiritual gravity creeps in. And it sets into the lives of we who follow Jesus Christ and through nothing other than sheer neglect, our quest to become spiritual champions gets derailed, not by necessarily anything evil, just by complacency and inattention to our soul, to the seat of our being, to our spiritual life. And see, becoming spiritual champions requires that we give our very best attention, our very best effort to the development of that seat of our being, to our souls that we give it our very best. Becoming a spiritual champion never just happens. It is a very intentional act. It is a very intentional process. Just like becoming a world-class athlete never just happens. Just like becoming a Nobel Prize winning scholar never just happens. Just like becoming a world-class parent never just happens. There are these beliefs and there are these behaviors that must be firmly rooted in our lives, in our habit patterns, if we ever hope to achieve champion status, spiritual champion status. And so the series is built on those premises, and it's those behaviors and beliefs that are going to make up the substructure of this series. And the characteristic that we want to talk about today, about spiritual champions, is actually the starting line for becoming a spiritual champion. It all starts right here where we're gonna start today. We're gonna start at the beginning and it's this one. Spiritual champions embrace Jesus Christ as their savior and as their boss. That's just what they do. Spiritual champions embrace Jesus Christ as their savior and as their boss. That is the starting line for becoming a spiritual champion. The adventure of faith with Jesus Christ all starts with the decision, a decision, to embrace Jesus Christ as your savior and as your boss. And get this, it is a decision. Get this, it is a choice. It's a choice about whether or not we're going to embrace Jesus Christ as their savior and boss, or we're not. And you don't have to be around this community called Journey Church very long to notice that we invite and we challenge people to make that decision almost every single weekend without exception. Once in a while, for a strategic reason, we don't. But almost every single weekend, we do. Today, in just a few moments, I'm going to invite you to make that very same decision. And I was talking a while back with one of our other pastors here on staff, and he was telling me that he had sort of crossed paths with a, another pastor here in the community, and that pastor sort of immediately upon seeing this guy who's on staff with us here sort of just launched into a tirade, very upfront in his opinion that Journey's decisional approach to evangelism is unbiblical. Unbiblical. That's kind of how we started the conversation with one of our pastors here on our staff. And this other guy who pastors a church right here in our town went on to unpack how in his opinion, calling people to a decision of whether or not they're going to follow Jesus is the incorrect approach to the deal. Evangelism should never be done that way, he said. Sort of at the bottom of the whole conversation, he was saying this decisional deal that you guys over there do is wrong, it's unbiblical, and well, it's bad, frankly. And of course, that guy wouldn't talk to me about that. He sort of blindsides one of our other guys, and so I just heard about it. I wasn't there; it was secondhand. But I was, I was stunned by this guy's assertion, frankly. And I was like, really, really? Because the Jesus that I read about in my Bible was actually constantly inviting people, and calling people, and challenging people to what? To make decisions, to make choices. Were they going to embrace him as savior and boss, or were they not? Were they going to follow him, or were they not? Were they going to obey him, or were they not? Were they going to submit to him, or were they not? It all boils down to a decision, to a choice. Something similar to the choice and to the decision that I'm going to invite you to make just a few moments from now, frankly. And the question really becomes for us as a community, Are you going to set yourself on a course toward becoming a spiritual champion by embracing Jesus Christ as your Savior and boss? Are you going to do that? Because that's frankly where all of this lands. Are you going to set yourself on a course toward becoming a spiritual champion by embracing Jesus Christ as your Savior and your boss? And for lots and lots and lots of us, the answer to that question is like a resounding yes fist pumping in the air all over the room right now nope just one guy on the stage doing it looking kind of like a monkey but if the answer to the question is yes then another question emerges doesn't it have you made that choice to embrace jesus christ as your savior and boss something less than what it really is something less than what it really means In other words, have you chosen to give yourself to a lesser gospel than the one that Jesus came to offer? He came offering one gospel. Have you given yourself to a lesser gospel than the one that Jesus came to offer? Have you confused the gospel that Jesus came to offer with something less than what it really is, something less than what it really means, something easy, something small, maybe even something cheap? Have you reduced the gospel to something easy, something small, and something cheap. Now just think on that for a moment. What was the gospel that Jesus came to offer? What was it? And is the gospel that Jesus came to offer the same one that you've given yourself to, that you've bought into, that you've embraced with your whole life? And you can test yourself in this, and here's how you can test yourself. Just imagine yourself getting up at the conclusion of this service and going downtown to have brunch, And if somebody who you'd never met before in your life approached you on the street and asked you the question, What was the gospel that Jesus Christ came to offer? How would you answer that question? How would you answer that question? Do you think, when you're put on the spot, that you could give the answer that the Bible itself gives about what the gospel was that Jesus came to offer? And I want you to know that it's not a hard question. Because the gospel that Jesus Christ came to offer is incredibly simple. We can read about it in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. If you've got a text, you can turn there. You can sure follow along on the screens as well. Mark 1, 14 and 15. Here's what the Bible says. Later on, after John was arrested, a little narrative material here. Later on, after John was arrested, Jesus went into Galilee where he preached God's good news. And then Mark says, he quotes Jesus. The time promised by God has come at last, he announced. The time promised by God has come at last. You've been waiting thousands of years for the Messiah, and it's finally time. And then here's what Jesus says The kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. And that word believe doesn't just mean intellectual assent. That word believe actually means order your entire life, order your entire being around this good news. That's the summary of the gospel that Jesus Christ came to offer. The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Turn from your sins. Stop it. Just stop it. Stop sinning. And believe this good news. The gospel that Jesus Christ came to offer is the reality that the kingdom of God has come near. And see, once Jesus had chosen his disciples, he set about a strategy to communicate his one and only message to everybody that he possibly could. The good news the gospel that Jesus Christ himself came to offer is that the kingdom of God that means God's power and God's presence and God's reign not that comes down from the sky but reign as in kingly reign are all available to us that's it that's the gospel that Jesus came to offer The reality that God's kingdom, his power, his presence, and his reign have now become available to ordinary human beings like you and like me. We can all live in the kingdom of God. If you want to live in the kingdom of God, you can walk right on in. Anybody can. That is the gospel that Jesus Christ came to offer. Nothing else, nothing less, certainly nothing cheap, is it? And the series is all about us becoming spiritual champions. But you see, what's detrimental to our becoming spiritual champions, us to us living full on inside the kingdom of God, is that we often sub in another gospel in place of the one that Jesus actually came to offer. Now, we wouldn't use this kind of terminology because... It'd just be way too obvious if we did. But the, quote, gospel that a whole lot of people believe, a whole lot of church people, a whole lot of, quote, Christians believe, the gospel that a whole lot of people carry around with them in their minds and hearts and in their wallets and in their purses is this. The minimum entrance requirements to get into heaven when you die. Right? Right? That's what so many of us think the gospel boils down to. The minimum entrance requirements for getting into heaven when you die. I mean, just think about it with me for a moment. Nobody in their right mind wants to go to hell, right? It's a gnarly place. And nobody in their right mind would ever want to go there. The Bible explains quite clearly that hell is our eternal destination apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ. And no one in their right mind would ever want to go to that place. The Bible never uses glowing, flowery language to describe hell because uh, hell is, well, it's hell, right? It just is, plain and simply. And we all know, every person on planet Earth knows that we have access to this get-out-of-hell-free card, don't we? We all have access to it this right here in my pocket is a, a monopoly card a chance card right and uh, on the back it, it's uh, this is the get out of jail free card and it says this this card may be kept until needed or traded and this is a great card isn't it when you're playing monopoly because you're a little thimble right and you're moving around the game board and you're winning and then all of a sudden you get thrown into jail and you go to jail and you're like sweet I got the card and you play the card and then well you're out of jail right But even better than the Monopoly get out of jail free card is the get out of hell free card that Christianity offers to everyone on planet Earth. And all you gotta do is you just gotta pray a little prayer, and well, then you get your card. Get out of hell free, right? But really, it's even better than just get out of hell free, right? Because in Monopoly, you actually have to take your thimble and go to jail. And then you use your card and you get out. But with the get out of hell free card, you don't even have to ever go there. You don't have to spend a single day in that place. It's more like a stay out of hell free card. And we pray this little prayer. And we get this little card. Stay out of hell for free. And we stick it in our wallet, our back pocket, our purse. Uh, I don't have a purse, but you ladies have purses. I use a wallet myself. And we're good, right? No hell for me. I don't got to go to that place. And lots and lots and lots of people do this absolutely bare, naked, minimum gospel thing solely for the purpose of avoiding hell. Because no one in their right mind wants to go to that place. Now, I'm sure I've told you before that around our house, we watch a fair bit of this program called Dora the Explorer. Do you know who Dora the Explorer? Show of hands, come on. I see, yeah, all over the room. Amen. See those hands. And if you don't know who Dora is, she's this very sweet little girl who wears a backpack and she's always on some mission to solve some problem by the incredibly malicious and evil Swiper the Fox. Swiper's always stealing stuff and wrecking Dora's picnics and all that kind of stuff. Well, the great theologian Dora the Explorer, she has much to offer us when it comes to our view of the gospel the bare minimum gospel, see? And an, a typical episode of Dora would go something like this. This is a little road. And, well, Dora is on her way somewhere. And here's Dora. And I am an artist. Not really. There she is. See? Yep, that's Dora the Explorer. And she's on her way to a picnic. And Swiper the Fox has jumped out and stolen something. And Dora has friends And uh, let's see, she's got uh, Tico, little Tico, and Tico is a squirrel, and so, yeah, you know Tico, don't you? Uh, That more looks like a beaver tail, but pretend it's a squirrel tail, all right, and then she's got this other sidekick named Benny, Benny's a bull, yep, Benny the bull, yep. And then uh, in the last service, there's a little guy who was sitting right about there, and I start, I kind of kept going, and, and, and he was like almost coming out of his seat, like, ah, ah, ah. And, and then uh, he said, Boots, bo-. I was like, oh, how could I forget Boots, it's like Dora's best friend, and so Boots is the little monkey, and this little kid was like, pump, yes, you got it right. <laughs> boots is the monkey, see, I got Boots this time, got him. Right, And they're on their way and Swiper the Fox has wrecked the day and they're supposed to get to this destination up here and well, sure enough, the road comes to a giant chasm with a raging river below and here's Dora and her entourage, pretend this is the entourage, there they are and they approach it and there's a bridge over the chasm like this and then the trail goes on. Wow, isn't that spectacular artistry? Hmm. Wow. And Dora comes up to the bridge, and it's time to cross the bridge. And well, what do you know? This big, hairy troll comes up from under the bridge, right? And the troll says, Dora, you cannot cross the bridge until you what? Pass the test. You got to pass a test, Dora. And the tests usually include Dora singing some song or reciting some poem or conjugating 12 Spanish verbs using the present indicative past tense or something, right? And so Dora does the deal, and Dora gets to cross the bridge. She passes the test. I've not ever seen an episode where Dora and her buddies have been plunged into the (laughs) abyss. That would be quite traumatic for the children, now wouldn't it? We could never do that. And Dora passes the test and she and her buddies get to cross and they make it up here and they have their picnic or their birthday party or whatever it is. But this right here, you see, is relevant because it's the picture that a whole lot of people, people who call themselves Christians even, have of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the picture of what they have in their mind of what it means to be a Christian. That when you die, there will be some sort of bridge going over to the other side, over to the great beyond, the great beyond of heaven And in their misunderstanding, the gospel is the correct answer to the test question that permits you to cross the bridge and step into heaven. And in the jokes, it's always St. Peter who would be asking the test question, right? Lucky him. But get this. Spiritual champions never misunderstand the gospel that Jesus came to offer in these sorts of terms. Because see, there is this incredibly tragic result of thinking about the gospel this way, and it's this. There is never ever a connection between the true gospel that Jesus Christ came to offer and our lives every single day. Because see, when we misunderstand the gospel this way, the gospel is then just something that we carry in our purse or our wallet or our hip pocket. We'll pull it out eventually on the day we die so that we cross over into heaven and it never engages the life we're living now. It remains forever disengaged, actually. But you show me in the New Testament where Jesus ever says, now I'm going to tell you the minimum entrance requirements for getting into heaven when you die. You will not find it in the Bible. Where in the Bible does God ever say, hey, come over here. Come right over here. Gather around. Now I'm going to tell you how you can get your very own stay out of hell for free card. He never did it. He never did it because that is not his gospel. It never has been. It never will be. Well, what is Jesus' gospel? We talked about it from Mark 1, 14 and 15, certainly. But a guy named Dallas Willard captures and paraphrases Mark 1, 15 brilliantly. For we who are on the quest to become spiritual champions, he says it this way. Listen to this. All the preliminaries have been taken care of. All the preliminaries have been taken care of. Jesus did it. He took care of it for us. And the kingdom of God is now accessible to everyone. The kingdom of God is now accessible to everyone. Because of what Jesus did, the kingdom of God, we have access to it right here, right now. And then Willard writes, review your plans for living. Review your plans for living. Notice he's very careful. He does not say, review your plans for dying and what happens to you after you die. uh uh-uh. He says, review your plans for living. Whose plan are you living on? Review your plans for living and watch this. Base your life on this remarkable opportunity. Base your life. That's strong, isn't it? Base your life on this remarkable opportunity of knowing God and walking and living and serving in his kingdom. That's the gospel that Jesus Christ came to offer. Because of and through Jesus' death on the cross, his resurrection from the grave, all the preliminaries have been settled and taken care of. That means that right now God's power and God's presence and God's reign are directly available to anybody and everybody who wants them. So just put your sin down. So just stop and review your plans for living, think it through again, and believe, and trust, and risk, and bank your life on this remarkable opportunity. That's the gospel that Jesus Christ came to offer. It is not a stay out of hell for free card. And absolutely, the gospel that Jesus came to offer includes the promise of forgiveness from our sin as a gift of grace, absolutely. Yes, the gospel that Jesus came to offer includes the promise that death will not have the final word, that our eternal life with God in heaven will not ever cease, but it is so much more than that. It's right here, right now kind of stuff, and the journey toward becoming a spiritual champion starts with your decision. It starts with your choice to commit. Your choice to base, to found everything in your life on this remarkable opportunity to live in relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ, right here and right now, not just in heaven someday. And see, when we understand the gospel that Jesus came to offer, and when we correctly embrace that gospel, it naturally follows then that He would become our boss. It just does. He just naturally becomes our boss. And spiritual champions are ruthlessly committed to embracing Jesus as their boss just as much as they ever embrace him as their Savior. And see, Jesus becomes our boss by virtue of the extension of his kingdom by virtue of the extension of the kingdom of God into every aspect of our life and being, and we actually become, our souls and our hearts, our lives become an outpost for the kingdom of God wherever we are in that moment. We are an outpost of the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God, it's kind of difficult to understand, isn't it? It's sort of otherworldly, especially because when we talk about kingdoms, we're usually thinking of thrones and castles and crowns and such. But it's not very difficult to understand the kingdom of God. You just track it out this way. First of all, every single person on planet Earth has a kingdom, right? And your kingdom is the sphere in which what you say goes. That's it. That's your kingdom, where what you say goes goes. For men, where what you say goes is the remote control. That is your kingdom, right? And you guard it carefully. And the technical phrase for this kingdom deal is the range of your effective will. And we're all living lives where we're trying to expand the range of our effective will as widely and broadly as we possibly can. We want what we say to go as far out as we possibly can, but we don't ever want anybody telling us what to do. We want to tell lots and lots of other people what to do, but we don't want people telling us what to do. And Jesus becoming the boss of our lives is all about the range of God's effective will reaching out and reaching into us in such a way that his health and his life and his kingdom are brought to bear right over the top of our own little kingdoms that we're all trying to build. And you think about the kingdom of God is a lot like a steamroller and it steamrolls out right over the top of stuff that is incompatible with his kingdom, squashing it and removing it from the scene. The range of God's effective will taking over more and more and more of the real estates of our heart and the real estate of our lives that's Jesus becoming the boss of our lives. And the most simple definition I know of boss comes from the Lord's prayer. The prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. And he said, look, pray this way. Your kingdom come, speaking to God. Your kingdom come, and then how's it go after that? Your will be done. Your kingdom come, your will, be not my will, your will be done. God's kingdom, see, is the sphere in which every single thing that happens meets with God's approval, meets with God's delight, where things are precisely the way that God wants them to be. And God's kingdom is not a place, because God is everywhere. He is not limited to space, nor is he limited to time. The kingdom of God is the sphere, the realm, the domain, in which every single thing that takes place meets with God's delight and God's approval. Us embracing Jesus Christ as our boss means that our lives and everything about our lives are ordered in such a way that God is delighted, that it brings God immense pleasure. And Jesus had a fantastic plan for bringing his kingdom about. And his plan involves and includes every single one of us. And spiritual champions and people who are on the road toward becoming spiritual champions embrace Jesus' plan for bringing his kingdom about. In the book of Matthew, in the Bible, chapter 6, Jesus says, Look, guys, I know all about what life in the kingdom of God is like. And it is my goal and it is my plan to bring that kind of life to this place, to this place planet. I'm going to invade the kingdom of this earth with the kingdom of God. I'm going to invade, as a matter of fact, the very kingdom of your hearts, he says. I'm going to set up shop in your hearts, and I'm going to expand my kingdom inside of you and around you and through you all over planet earth And Jesus told everybody who would ever be his follower that they were to devote themselves to that exact same project, bringing the kingdom of God right here and right now. And he told them the way you do that is you engage in a life of humility and you engage in a life of community and you engage in a life of righteous living and you engage in a life of peace, you engage in a life of joy and all of that stuff washes out over the kingdom of this earth in such a way that it is never the same, like a tsunami. It is never the same. Jesus taught us to pray a prayer in Matthew chapter six, didn't he? Our father in heaven, he said, The New Living says it this way, may your name be kept holy. And then the next line says this, may your kingdom come soon. May your kingdom come soon. May your kingdom come right here, right now. Make what life is like in the kingdom of God become what life is like here on earth. That's Jesus' plan. That's what he devoted his life to. Make things run here, the way they do there. Jesus never, ever taught us to pray, God, please get me out of here so that I can go there. He never, ever taught us to pray that. But lots of people pray what one guy calls the Star Trek prayer, don't they? You, you know the Star Trek prayer. You may not recognize that you know it, but remember the, what the crew of the Starship Enterprise would say to their friend Scotty up in Star Trek? What'd they say? Beam me up, Scotty, right? Beam me up, Scotty. But Jesus never, ever taught we who follow him to pray, beam me up, God. Never does that. Jesus never prayed, God, get me out of here. Let me go there, please. Instead, Jesus prayed, God, make there invade here. And Jesus told us to pray, God, please bring your kingdom here. Please bring your kingdom to my campus. Please bring your kingdom to my neighborhood Please bring your kingdom to my small group. Please bring your kingdom to my family. Please bring your kingdom, God, to my country. Please bring your kingdom, God, to my church. Is that how you're praying? Is that how you're praying? It is not our job just to seal up our afterlife destination and then just... Spend the rest of our lives treading water until we all get vacuumed up out of this place and Jesus comes back and torches the planet, right? That's not the deal. That's not our job. He tells us instead, ask God to establish his kingdom right here, right where we are, right now. And so let me ask you are you on the road to becoming a spiritual champion? Is that the trajectory of your life? Because that deal all starts at this place, this place of recognizing your need of a savior. Now get this, you and I and every person on planet Earth are utterly incapable of saving ourselves. Utterly incapable. And that means even if you haven't done like really, 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 really bad stuff, you're still incapable of saving yourselves in the eyes of God. Utterly incapable. And becoming a spiritual champion starts with embracing Jesus Christ as your unblemished, perfect savior, the only one fit to be your offering, the covering, the sacrifice for your sin and then you move from that place of embracing Jesus Christ as your savior right to the place the decision where you make him the boss of your life you give him in an airplane the pilot sits in the left seat doesn't he and you give God the left seat and you said here you say here it is it's your ship you got it i go where you go i follow you And when you make that transaction, the kingdom of God breaks in to the kingdom of this earth a little bit more and a little bit more. And then as you live inside the kingdom of God, as you make Jesus more and more the boss of your life, as you follow him and obey him and trust him, you bring a slice of his life right here, wherever you are, and the kingdom of God breaks in a little bit more and a little bit more to the kingdom of this earth. And Jesus Christ being your boss, it looks like a whole bunch of things, way too many for us to talk about, but I want to give you just a few samplings of what it could look like. Jesus Christ being your boss looks like every time when you're in conflict with somebody and you really want to hurt them and you really want to gossip about them and you really want to jump up and down on their head and cause them great pain because that's what you do in the kingdom of this earth, right? But instead, you follow Jesus in that conflict. You follow Jesus in that conflict, no matter how big the conflict is or how small the conflict is. And instead, you deal with them in humility and love because that's what Jesus does. You go and you seek reconciliation and you go and you seek forgiveness. And when you do that, that is Jesus Christ as the boss of your life That's Jesus Christ calling the shots in your life. And you know when you do that, the kingdom of God breaks in and breaks through a little bit more and a little bit more. Jesus Christ as your boss might look like this, that every time you get a little chunk of money and you decide that instead of spending it on something that you just want, don't necessarily need, you decide instead of doing that that you're gonna give it away. You're gonna give it away maybe to your church who is attempting to reach the community, to reach the valley, to reach the state, to reach the region with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because see, Jesus as your boss causes you to reorder your financial world in a different way than the kingdom of this world says you order your financial world. It looks different. In the kingdom of God, we don't just accrue and pile up and accumulate. The kingdom of God, Jesus as boss, looks like generosity, doesn't it? And maybe you don't just give to your church. Maybe you give to somebody who's homeless, somebody who's poor, somebody who is hungry. And when you do that, that is Jesus Christ as your boss. And the kingdom of God breaks in and breaks through a little bit more and a little bit more. Jesus Christ as your boss looks like whenever somebody has an addiction. And they want to get well so incredibly badly that they're willing to step out into the light of day, acknowledge the truth, and get help from a loving community, a community like our very own Celebrate Recovery ministry. That's the kingdom of God breaking into this world. Because see, when Jesus Christ is your boss, you include people who are lonely, and you encourage people who are defeated, and you challenge people who are wandering out off of the path, and you invite them back into the way of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ as your boss means you serve. You live your life consistently with a serving towel over your arm. When you see somebody in need, you don't wait for somebody to like start a program or start a ministry. You just see a need and you meet a need. That is Jesus Christ as your boss. And when Jesus Christ is your boss, it causes you to live much differently than you otherwise would. And when you do, the kingdom of God breaks in and it breaks in and it breaks in. And when you do, the prayer that Jesus Christ taught us to pray is actually being answered. And we're part of the answer to the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done here on earth just as it is in heaven. Have you embraced Jesus Christ as your Savior? Have you embraced Him as your boss? Have you set yourself on a course of becoming a spiritual champion? If you haven't, I hope you will. And if you have, I hope you'll keep going, running hard. There's nothing better in this life. Nothing better. Why don't you just bow your heads and close your eyes if you would. I just invite you to get alone with the Lord and just tell the Lord what it is that you're thinking about, what's on your heart and mind. You can do that now. I'm going to ask you to keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed if you would for the next few moments. Maybe you're here today and you realize that at some point in your life you made the gospel of Jesus Christ something other than what it really is. And sure, maybe at some point in your life you prayed a little prayer and you put the little card in your pocket. You've got your afterlife destination all taken care of, all sealed up. But if the Holy Spirit has been prompting you today that the gospel of Jesus Christ is something more than a card in your wallet or your purse or your pocket, I want to invite you and I want to challenge you right here, right now, today, to renew your commitment to Jesus Christ. To renew it with a correct understanding of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And you can do that by just telling Him that you embrace Jesus as your Savior. And then tell him that you also, just as much as you embrace him as your savior, you embrace him as your boss. And tell him that you sincerely want the range of his effective will to wash over everything about your life. You want everything in your life to come under his authority to be submitted to him. You wanna live life his way and you wanna be an active part of bringing his kingdom right here, right now, wherever you are, I just invite you to transact that with God if that's you. And maybe you're here today and this is all brand new to you. And maybe God has been showing you that you've not ever even trusted him with a part of your soul you've not ever stepped into a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ, and allowed Him to partner with you toward becoming a spiritual champion, He wants you to know today that He invites you to do that very thing. He invites every person on planet Earth to do that very thing by receiving the gift of His Son, Jesus Christ, a free gift, certainly. But when you receive the gift of Jesus Christ, you are not ever the same you are forgiven and you are adopted and you are privileged to spend eternity with God, not just in heaven someday but starting right here and right now and if that's you if that's the desire of your heart today, you can move into a relationship with God by praying a prayer right along with me right where you're sitting, a prayer that goes something like this God, thank you so much for sending your son Jesus to make a way for me to have a relationship with you God, I know that I've sinned in ways that I shouldn't have. God, this is my deal. This isn't anything you did. This is me. And today, God, I've come to realize that you are perfect and that you are holy and that it's my sin that separated me from you. And God, I'm telling you once and for all today, That with everything in me, I believe and I trust that Jesus died on the cross for my sin. And I ask you to please forgive me and please send Jesus to live inside of me. God, I want you to be my friend and I want you to change me. God, I need you to clean my life up. And would you please set me on a course toward becoming a spiritual champion, please, God. I want to hit it out of the park with you, Jesus. And if you prayed with me just then to give your life to Jesus Christ, to embrace Him as your savior, to embrace Him as your boss, there's not a bigger decision you'll ever make. That's it, right there. And it's such a big deal that around here we ask people to tell us when they made that decision. And I want you to know that nobody's going to embarrass you in any way. I'm the only person looking around this room. If you prayed with me just then, would you be so bold as to slip your hand up and make eye contact with me and say, yes, I made that decision right there, way to go. God is changing you, and he's making you brand new. Life is never the same from this moment forward. Way to go. And you back there, right now, God's changing you. Life will never be the same in you two, just up there. Make sure I catch your eye, if you would, please. I don't want to miss anybody. God, we just say that we love you. We love you with all of our lives. And we don't just scoop up the quote, good parts of your gospel. We scoop up the whole deal. We scoop up even the part that says we reorder our life and our priorities all around you. That you call the shots. That we're submitted to you. We take it all, Jesus. And we live it all all for the sake of your kingdom coming on earth just as it is in heaven. Make that our compelling interest, our compelling desire, God, to bring your kingdom right here, right now, wherever we are. We love you, we worship you, and everything about our lives, God, is yours. And we pray all of this in the strong name of Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world the boss of our lives and our souls. And the church said,